Some of you may know Tom Scharfenberg. He's a member of our church, a school dad as well, and uh, others may know him as Leslie Scharfenberg's husband, often how he goes. But uh, Tom had something happen a couple years ago, uh, and he told me about it some time ago, and I, I'll never forget it. He was shopping at Costco, and he was on his way driving into the parking lot, parking his car, and he saw this this, this guy trying to uh, empty groceries out of one of the big shopping carts at Costco and was just finishing up emptying all his, his groceries into his SUV. He closed the door right as Tom was getting out of his car nearby. And this man looked over at him, you want a cart? And Tom's like, yeah, sure. And, and he looked over at him and he said, here, catch. And he rolled the cart toward him. And it was at that moment as their eyes met that Tom realized he was staring at Matt Stafford, the quarterback of the Detroit Lions. And so he, Tom will tell you, he officially has caught a pass from, Tom, or from uh, Matthew Stafford, unlike many of the Lions players. Ooh, sorry. Um, you know, unexpected, right? To be in the presence of someone famous, well-known, and to not expect it. That's a pretty special moment. Um, there was another one that was captured on film uh, this spring. I think it was back in early March. This kind of went viral. And I want to show you the picture. This was uh, captured in a Starbucks, a selfie of Justin Verlander uh, behind, waiting in line at Starbucks behind a young fan. And he posted this on Instagram and he said, I really love my fans. This little guy is going to be really excited when I introduce myself. And uh, in fact, he did. But uh, can you imagine just standing in line at Starbucks, you're wearing your Verlander jersey if you got one, and Justin Verlander is right behind you. That would be a pretty big thrill. I've got to say it, whether you're a baseball fan or not, of course, if you're wearing a jersey, you probably would be. Uh, but pretty neat thing to be that close to someone that you're not expecting to be near. Can you imagine what that would be like? And I think that gets us maybe transitioning into what was going on in just a little way, in such a bigger way, on that resurrection day because today's gospel reading from Luke chapter 24 transports us back to that day Sunday the day of the resurrection the day where Jesus had burst forth from the grave in such an unexpected way now keep in mind they weren't expecting this and some of you are already saying well yeah but Jesus told them again and again well yeah he did but they really didn't expect it they expect all of their hopes had been dashed. The, the future had, had suddenly just been tarnished and, and everything as they knew it had been turned upside down. They'd invested their lives. Many of them had, had just completely moved on and said, I'm going to follow Jesus with all that I am. And, and then they watch him die and it seems like game over. What's the point? And yet as we find out as... These disciples one day are walking down the road to Emmaus, some seven miles from Jerusalem. They're debriefing. They're talking about it amongst themselves. Like, what are we going to do now? Uh, can you believe this happened? And they're already starting to talk about the buzz, as we're going to find out here, of what had happened that morning as witnessed by the women and also witnessed by Peter and John as they ran to the tomb. Um, and they don't realize who they're with who's standing in line at Starbucks. Let's go into this. Let's, let's open scripture together if we could and spend some time. This is an amazing resurrection eyewitness account, one of so many witnesses 
of hundreds of people who saw Jesus alive. And this changes the world and changes our world too. Um, let's look at Luke chapter 24, beginning with verse 13. It is printed in your worship folder on that scripture readings page. Or you can open the worship Bible. That would actually be better if you want to turn to that on page 1093. I'm sorry, on page 1060 as we open that scripture together today. Now it says this. Now that same day, meaning the same day as Jesus burst forth from the grave, that Easter Sunday, uh, two of them, we're going to find out one of them is Cleopas, was, uh, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. This is a Matthew Stafford, Justin Merlander moment, and they don't even see it. They don't even get it because their expectations are there's no way. Now, it's probably more than that because it says, but they were kept from recognizing him. Um, we don't know what that specifically means other than several of these appearances of Jesus. They are kept from seeing him. And uh, what, what many have thought, and, and this may be the case, is that in the glorified body, post-resurrection, we may look a little different than we do now. There's something different about Jesus' appearance that keeps them from recognizing him immediately. And whatever that is, don't want to read too far between the lines. But they don't recognize him. And he asked them, <laughs> I love this, what are you discussing together? as you walk along. Does Jesus know what they're talking about? Is he messing with them? Pretty much. So tell me, what are you talking about? I could just even see a smirk on his face in this moment. Tell me, what are you talking about? And uh, it says, they stood still and their faces were downcast. Now based on that, body language and their reaction, do they get it yet? Clearly not. They don't get it. They think something is wrong. They don't think it's a good thing that the tomb was found empty because they think certainly there's no way people conquer death. Jesus must, his body stolen, it's missing, something's wrong here. Or maybe it is the fact that the women's report couldn't be trusted. Which by the way, a little side note here, one of the great proofs for the resurrection is the fact that the, the, the message through the Gospels is that the women were the first eyewitnesses. In that culture, if you wanted people to believe a story, you wouldn't say that the women were the first eyewitnesses. In our culture, we miss that. But in their culture, they were the first eyewitnesses. And the disciples, they laid out there, and the, the writers of the Gospels, they share this. Um, it, it's actually one of the proofs that the resurrection must be true, because you wouldn't write that if you were trying to start a lie. You see what I'm getting at? Culturally, this is pretty profound. But he asked them, what, what are you discussing as you walk along? Their faces are downcast. And then one of them, then Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these last days? What things? Jesus laughed, asked. Um, I've got a friend. Every once in a while we talk on the phone and I said, So how are you and your congregation addressing? And I'll share some current you know, event and, and are you praying about that or how are you handling that? And, and every time I bring up some world event, he says the same thing. What are you talking about? And I, I said, well, you know about it, don't you? It's like, well, I don't watch any news. I never watch any of that stuff. And I'm like, are you kidding me? He's like, yeah, you know what? You never can believe anything you hear out there anyway. I'm like, what? 
And, you know, maybe you know people like that. They just, they just isolate themselves from the world. And, and you know, they're, they're saying, how in the world do you not know what happened in Jerusalem? Now, it just so happens they're face to face with Jesus. And I, the irony in this moment is unbelievable. Uh, it's, it's crazy. And to think Jesus says, what things? He's prompting them to tell more of what has transpired. And they, they tell him. This is what they say about Jesus of Nazareth, they reply. He was a prophet, and yet we know so much more than that. Powerful in word, indeed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him, and there it is. But we had, what to say? We had hoped. Do you feel it? But we had hoped. Doesn't say, but we have hope. It says, we had hope. Because they think it's over. They think there is no hope. You've been there. You know what it's like to be in those places where you thought, I had hope, and now I feel like I have no hope. Whether it be what's been diagnosed at the doctor's office, whether it be what's happening in your family dynamics right now, maybe with your job situation or someone you know whose job or finances are falling apart. Maybe it's someone who's battling a sin in their life or an addiction or a brokenness that, that is just beyond measure. And you're like, man, I had hope that they would turn out all right. I thought things were going to be different. And you're ready to throw in the towel. I had hoped. They had hoped. And they thought there was none. They had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. I love that word, amazed. In fact, Luke's gospel, one of the profound things throughout Luke's gospel in his writing, uh, Dr. Luke, is that he uses five different words for the word amazed, and it shows up again and again through the ministry of Jesus, the word amazed. Some people call this the gospel of amazement, and this word shows up again and again as the other authors use the word occasionally, but not like Luke does. And here it is. It says, we were amazed to hear what the women reported. They went to the tomb early this morning, didn't find his body. They came, told us that they had seen a vision of angels who, were said, who said he was alive. And then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. That, who are those two? So we've got Peter. We've got John. John kind of brags in his gospel that he outran Peter, being an old man, to, his to, to the tomb, and, but didn't go in. And then Peter passed him up and went actually down into the tomb itself where he saw the grave clothes laying there. And, and you have this whole thing unfolding in really just a matter of hours and it's very fresh, and they're amazed, and yet they're, they're perplexed, they're without hope, they're wondering, what can we believe? What is true? What is going on? But they did not see Jesus, they said. And how does Jesus respond to this? Because you kind of almost sense, as they're pouring it out, there's a sense of wine, there's a sense of concern, or a, a, a hopelessness. It's like, what can we turn to at a time like this? How does Jesus handle it? He said to them, how foolish you are. Why? Well, he goes on. And how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? How could he say that and ask that kind of question? Did not Messiah have to suffer? Is that an unfair question? The answer is, of course it's not, because Jesus had told them over and over and over again. It's not like he never mentioned it or thought of it in a secondhand account. No, Jesus mentioned it again and again and again to his disciples and to his followers. I will need to suffer and to die. There should be no surprises here. And the third day, I will rise again. And Jesus says, how slow to believe are you? Don't you get it? And then Luke does... One of those things that many people actually are very upset with Luke to this day, this side of heaven. Luke says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And he doesn't record what Jesus actually said. Can you imagine what a jewel that would be to have that message? Now, what do you think Jesus said about himself? Do you think he went all the way back? I mean, it says... Starting with Moses and all the prophets, he went through the entire Old Testament scriptures to explain what had been said about the Messiah himself. He would have started way back in Genesis, and what talked about in the very beginning, that, that he had been there as the word who was there present as the Father spoke, let there be. And, and we talked about at the fall when sin and death enters the world. How in the very curse over the evil one and, and that you will dash his head and, and, and he, will, he will curse, I'm sorry, he, he will, <laughs> how's that go? In Genesis chapter 3, that first messianic promise that he will crush your head, that that seed of the woman would come and, and explaining a Messiah would be the seed of that woman and walking the way through scripture, all the way through all those messianic promises like Isaiah that talks about the suffering servant who would be pierced and, and like a lamb led off to slaughter he would say nothing I'm sure he probably highlighted many of these things what a message that must have been and, and as we learn later that their hearts were burning as they were hearing this like oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah this is not just some fellow traveler this man is really worth hanging out with and spending time with Talk about a Starbucks moment that's about to happen. And after Jesus finishes explaining all of this, it gets to that moment where he can, Jesus continued as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and gave it to them. And I love it. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Whoa! He'd been with them all along, and they didn't even know it. There's an incredible story surfaced back in August of 2012. There was a tour bus that was touring throughout Iceland, this remote area. They were taking a look at, at all the beautiful sights. People from around the world were on this tour bus, 50 of them or more, and they stopped at a rest area along one of the roads, and as they got out and stretched and, and spent a break time there, uh, they got back and, and were gathering together, and the word got out that one of them was missing. And uh, this, it was a woman. She had, was missing from the group, and, and at first, no big deal. Let's wait a little longer. Well, they waited and waited, and they, they'd said, we've got to gather back here um, very soon in, in about you know, 20 minutes or so. 20 minutes turns into an hour, and 
concerns started to be raised, so they started looking around the rest area stop, searching the bathrooms and, and the, um, the, the, the different stores that were there, and couldn't find the woman. Um, now, going on two hours, three hours, they, they started to call the authorities. An official search started to uh, commence in that area, down into the area, the fields and, and the, the wilderness around there. They started to search. This search went on for hours and hours and hours. And uh, they'd even called in a, a, a helicopter uh, from the Coast Guard or whatever to come and assist in the search uh, to find this woman before it was too late. And it gets into be at 3 a.m., it was finally discovered that the woman was actually among them the whole time and was helping try to find herself. See, what had happened is she went into the restroom, she changed clothes, and she freshened up a bit, and nobody recognized her. And there she is, for hours, helping search for herself. What I'm getting at today is, can you imagine searching for something you had all along? And I got a hunch a lot of us come here today and we're searching. We're still searching for love. We're still searching for acceptance. We're still searching for forgiveness. We're still searching for the assurance that Jesus really is who he said he was. He's right there. And he's right here. When Luke says that when he broke the bread, their eyes were open and they realized it was him. Luke is not just making kind of a neat little comment here about Jesus. Jesus isn't making a little small point here. There's something significant about breaking bread with Jesus. And we see that play out as Luke continues to write the book of Acts and how the church gathered around, even after Jesus had ascended to heaven, they gathered around the breaking of the bread. This is more than just a table fellowship meal of, of just gathering for pizza. There's something more going on here. That God reveals himself. Well, you know where I'm going with that, don't you? We break bread here together today. We're going to celebrate the presence of Jesus. And this is a Starbucks, Verlander, Matthew Stafford kind of moment. And then some, because we're dealing with the Lord of life, the God of the universe, the one who has always been, the one who conquered sin and the death, and even the grave, to give us victory today. And it's real. And we have eyewitness accounts of it, and we are eyewitnesses of his presence here today as he meets us here through his body, through his blood, through the promise over us that we belong to him, that you are loved, that you are forgiven. May we not doubt, and may we have faith today in his presence. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you give us eyewitness accounts of the fact that you have truly conquered even death itself. It may be like us on the road to Emmaus and those disciples that after they realized it was you, they, they, they ran as fast as they could to go and tell and spread the word that Jesus, you had conquered the grave. We are witnesses of these things and you come among us here today to reaffirm that in our lives, that you are here and we praise you that that is truth and that we have been given that gift of life and forgiveness and grace in you. We praise you, Jesus, in your presence today and always. Amen.